Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161BD103, Discussion of Recent Trip to Romania. From the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair Number 213, March the 6th, 1990. This evening, Otto Scott and I are going to talk with our Calcedon Report editor, Gary Mose. Gary returned last night from a trip which took him to Nicaragua and to Hungary, I believe, and Romania. He was accompanied by another of our Calcedon staff members, Joseph McAuliffe, as well as Douglas Alexander and a friend from Sweden. The purpose of the trip was a relief mission with uh, some funds that he carried from Calcedon. And we're going to discuss tonight uh, his trip, in particular Romania, which is very, very much in the news where a very fine reformed group has been making a major stand, in fact, helped precipitate the revolution and now must fight to continue it. Gary, do you want to tell us uh, in general about your trip and then we can ask specific questions? Uh, yes, the... Uh as you said, the trip began in Nicaragua. <coughs> um, I went there for a couple of reasons. One was to observe the uh, the work of the Caribbean Christian Ministries uh, program, and secondly, uh, to cover uh, some pre-election stories for a Dutch news agency with whom I'm affiliated. Um, I must say that the uh, the people that the Caribbean Christian Ministries has in place in Nicaragua are a very fine group of people doing an excellent work. Uh, Pastor er Ernan Savory in particular, <coughs> who's head of the ministry there in uh, Managua, is a, uh, a very well-educated, very intelligent man and uh, very dedicated to the Lord and his work. I was privileged to sit in on a uh, seminar he gave to an, a group of evangelical pastors on the subject of liberation theology, and I was very impressed with his uh, command of the subject and the uh, way in which he uh, responded to liberation theology with a, uh, a Christian reconstruction message. It's an excellent work. Uh, Pastor Savory is from the Atlantic Coast region, the east coast of Nicaragua, which is a heavily Christianized section of Nicaragua where the uh, ethnic minorities, the Mosquito Indians, the Creoles, and uh, other uh, people of African descent are located. They were Christianized uh, more than a century ago by the Moravian uh, missionaries, and uh, they still to this day uh, have resisted communism, uh, which uh, the Sandinistas brought into the country. And because of that, have been at, odd, at odds 
throughout the 10 years with the regime. Had an opportunity to observe the observe the, um, the election campaign in progress there, although I had to leave before the election. Um, I was quite impressed with the vigor of the campaign. The people were, uh, ordinary citizens were very much involved in the campaign process, uh, riding through the streets in cars and wearing uh, t-shirts and banners, and there was uh, really quite a very vigorous uh, public participation in the campaign. I was also uh, impressed, I guess, negatively by the hundreds, perhaps even thousands of international election observers who were there, almost all of whom were, uh, the ones that I met anywhere, were extremely uh, oriented toward the left. And the night before I left, I attended a uh, briefing by a press officer for a group called uh, Witness for Peace. And uh, I was rather amused at uh, the confidence which she uh, displayed uh, toward a uh, Sandinista victory in the election. She just almost totally dismissed any possibility that the UNO coalition could possibly win the election and uh, accused uh, the UNO group and, and according to her, the Contras who supported UNO, which I don't think was exactly accurate, uh, of committing all sorts of irregularities in uh, the campaign. And my investigation was that it was just the opposite. I was unable. To, I was able to uncover uh, quite a number of complaints and examples of uh, campaign uh, fraud by the Sandinista side. Uh, for example, uh, evangelical Christians in uh, one of the large cities where we visited told me that they probably would not vote in the election out of fear because the uh, secret agents of the government had personally visited their homes, uh, threatening them with uh, beatings or harm to their families or various other threats uh, if they uh, supported the opposition. They also, yes. Uh, where did these other observers come from? So we knew that American observers went down there, but where did the others come from? Well, they were from just about all over the world, uh, quite a number from uh, Western Europe. I met some from Holland, uh, some from Sweden. Um, I don't recall the exact uh, homes of all these people, but uh, my impression was they were from almost all over the world, Canada, uh, Western Europe, and the United States, of course. You know, must have won by a considerable margin for them to admit defeat. Yeah, it uh, is, I think the report I saw it was like a 14% uh, victory margin for UNO, which, uh, considering the climate uh, of the campaign, I think was uh, an overwhelming victory. There's now a determined press effort to talk it away and yeah. to say that UNO is a combination of parties which will uh, break apart. And they've also pointed out that the representation in the Parliament, the Congress, I think they call it, mm -hmm. is four votes short of what is necessary to change the Constitution. Yes, I believe that's correct. Well, of course, was a coalition of uh, 14 parties, which ranged everywhere from uh, 
extreme right-wing <coughs> groups to a couple of the uh, communist parties who were even involved in that. Uh, apparently, the the thrust of it was a, a common enemy, uh, even though they many of the parties themselves disagreed uh, vigorously with each other. So I think there's a good chance that as a party or as a coalition, um, well, you could hardly call UNO a party because it represented such a, a broad spectrum of ideas and ideologies. Uh, but it uh, did prove to be an effective coalition in terms of winning an election. Mrs. Chamorro uh, is, I think, uh, admittedly uh, a figurehead. Even her closest supporters uh, characterized her as a rather... Uh, uh, weak in her actual abilities to govern the country, um, but she is surrounded by some some very capable people and some people that I found to be extremely impressive. One in particular was uh, Gilberto uh, Quadro, who is the uh, president of the Superior Council on Private Enterprises, uh, the main uh, business group in. Nicaragua. He is a, a very impressive man, a very devout Christian who reads his Bible at the beginning of his workday every day, has two or three Bibles in his office and, and uses them. Uh, I was very impressed with his understanding of the economic situation, his very realistic uh, look at Nicaragua's place in uh, in geopolitics and in uh, the economics of the Western Hemisphere. Uh, people like him uh, gave me great hope that uh, Nicaragua may indeed have quite a bright fut future under uh, Mrs. Chamorro. Do you think these observers all went home after the election? Do you think any of them will, re will remain? You don't know because I, you left yeah, before really don't know the election. I left before the election. Uh, many of the uh, the people who were serving as observers had been there for quite some time. In fact, uh, they were uh, jokingly referred to as uh, sandalistas, yeah. the uh, kind of hippie types that uh, have been there for some time, trying uh, their level best to shore up the faltering uh, Sandinista regime. Well, we've been they've, uh, pretty well clouded reportage from Nicaragua up until this point. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm afraid that we have a press curtain regarding the new regime, too. Yeah, it could be. Uh, this this press officer that I mentioned from Witness for Peace, if, she, if she's characteristic of the, of the people who, and I think she is, of the people who were briefing the, the international press there, then the press was not getting accurate information. Um, I'd listened to her for five minutes and I just totally dismissed her as a reliable source of information. Although the observers who were listening to her and were soaking up every word. They took said, it as uh, uh, what they wanted to hear. Right. So uh, you know, when someone like, even like Jimmy Carter says uh, it was the most fair election he had ever observed, um, <laughs> he was uh, just completely naive. And, well, I, I mean, guess in addition to the threats, uh, we could estimate Carter's uh, behavior down there by the amount of praise he's received from our press. I've reached the point where anyone that our press likes, I'm immediately suspicious of. Yeah. In addition to the threats of violence against uh, voters in the opposition, 
I also uh, learned of examples of uh, the Sandinistas buying up voter cards, offering very tempting sums uh, in exchange for voter registration cards. This was done particularly in the uh, the Christian section of the country over on the Atlantic coast. Mm. They were also, uh, in effect, bribing people uh, to vote or not to vote, uh, giving... Uh, children hundreds and hundreds of very nice bicycles I saw them driving around in the streets offering um, things like home appliances to people other uh, very uh, nice rewards to say to attend a rally or something and I also heard that when people did not show up they went and took back the, the gifts now, not a word of that so far as I know has appeared in the press up here and yet it was right. visible yeah it was very visible the uh, Sandinistas were very active in the neighborhoods in Managua where I observed it, perhaps in other cities as well, holding block parties for children uh, with games and races and piñatas and things like that, all-night dances uh, for the young people. So they really went all out. So with that kind of effort and the, and the vastly superior financing they had, uh, it makes the victory for UNO even more stunning. People took a big risk in voting against them. Yeah, although uh, we made a big uh, point of the fact that uh, the balloting was secret. Uh, I saw one large banner hanging over a street that was addressed particularly to military and teachers, uh, reminding, them, reminding them that the uh, balloting was secret. And I think that that uh, did uh, play a large role. The balloting, in fact, was secret. But there were these uh, threats and other ir irregularities which made it uh, an unfair election, and yet they lost. The bad guys lost, even though they were cheating. The uh, the ministry there that I observed, uh, as I said, was very impressive. Um, they're really uh, going out into the, the villages with the uh, a fine educational program with seminars, uh, also with uh, meeting the material needs of uh, the poor people in Nicaragua, and it's an extremely poor country. Uh, we've heard this, of course, but I was just astonished at how poor it really was. Uh, it used to be the most prosperous country in Central America. Yeah, well... When I was down there just in Somoza's last year and wrote about its economy... It had more land available. The land was available, for instance, for homesteading. Mm -hmm. uh, you could get a loan from the government and instruction from the government on all the tools you needed to farm. It, uh, it exported food yes. to all parts of the world. It's just incredible how in 10 years the Sandinistas could have so thoroughly destroyed that country. Um, just the abject poverty no uh, tools available. Consumer goods are almost non-existent. Uh, they used to have Mercedes told. automobiles yeah. all over the now, place. Now the only ones you see are uh, Russian Ladas and uh, a number of other uh, rather funny Eastern European cars. One uh, little East German two-cycle engine, which I've seen in Eastern Europe was a very funny little car, but that's about well, all there, and they're all falling apart. I guess our Congress would like to see us improve the same way. <laughs> yeah, I guess. 
The statistics which uh, Mr. Quadra gave me uh, were just appalling how in, uh, in 10 years things could deteriorate so bad. Maybe I could just cite a few of them. Um, according to his figures, the national per capita income was uh, $900 per year in 1978-79. And that's dropped now from 900 to 300 that's just in 10 years. That's two-thirds. <clears throat> yeah. The uh, lowest average wage, the wage for uh, the lowest level of worker, an unskilled entry-level worker, it was about $3 per day in 1978-79, and now even highly regarded professionals, <clears throat> such as teachers, are earning, earning only about $15 a month. So that what about a low level of $90 a month now dropped to 50, $15 a month. What about inflation? Oh, Did they have a horrendous inflation? Just, just incredible. When you enter the country, you're required to exchange $60 in cash for Cordobas, and that $60 that I traded in made me a millionaire. It was over three, three, I think 3.6 million Cordobas. Did you take a taxi by any chance, or were you picked up, or what? And I did not have occasion to ride a taxi, but uh, I did buy a few meals there. And How much did they cost? Yeah. Well, there were three of us that had one a very, very fine, very tasty dinner, uh, steak dinner. Uh, the three of us uh, together cost, uh, I think, uh, over 800,000 Cordobas. <laughs> That would be about forty dollars or so. Well, uh, for all that was for three of us, I think that's about ten or twelve dollars. Ten or twelve. The price is very low, but the the inflation. But in the Cordoba's are eight hundred thousand. <laughs> yeah, I brought the. It's kind of hard on an audio tape to describe a visual aid here, but I brought an example of uh, their money. This this bill that I have in my hand was printed originally to be a, a one hundred Cordoba bill. And because the value changes so rapidly, they haven't bothered, bothered to uh, print new money. They've just crudely printed right over the old bill. And this 100 Cordova bill now says 100,000 Cordobas. 100,000? 100,000, yeah. So that's, a, that's in 10,000% uh, inflation. Yes, yeah, it's just, uh, just astonishing. 10,000%. Cordoba is now trading on the black market there about 72000 per dollar. 72000 for a dollar. I understand that uh, Mrs. Chamorro's... Uh, no wonder they wrote that Dear Commandante letter. <laughs> I mean, what's money mean to a Democratic congressman? Yeah, the inflation is just astonishing. Uh, we were told not to exchange too much when we came in because even if you stayed like three days, you'd lose, you'd lose a substantial amount of money. It you know, changes almost hourly. I wonder how anybody lives under that circumstance. How does yeah. a poor person Well, they don't. Live? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I was told that most families ate one meal a day. They, they just do not have enough even to buy food for a single day. The way most families are surviving is by sending some member of their family outside the country to earn money and send it back in. In fact, the country is taking in about $80 million a from, year from, from relatives. relatives living elsewhere. That's, they've been reduced to beggar. Yeah, they really, have. they really have. 
The only store I saw that was well equipped was one called the Diplo, which is the diplomatic store. And even though officially there's an embargo of American goods, that store was loaded. It was a very bright modern store. Uh, in fact, in several sections of stores, uh, loaded with American goods, strictly American goods. How do you suppose, Gary, these left Sandalistas could reconcile what they were looking at with their beliefs? I just can't understand it. They had to be just totally... Uh, Totally blind. It's got to be spiritual blindness, the only way you can describe well, it. Has it has to be physical blindness, too. Yeah, maybe. Well, Shafarovich said that socialism has a will to death to destroy everything, including life. Well, of course, these are the people who want to snuggle up to the people in power. Mm-hmm. And apparently the infatuation with power. Uh, I have run into people through the years who make a practice of traveling to the most begotten parts of the world, the poorest parts of the world, because it makes them feel rich. Yes. Do you think there's anything like that involved? Oh, I'm sure there is, yeah. Particularly the the observers that I saw come down would probably fall in that category. They were generally wealthy people. Wealthy people. Wealthy people Mm -hmm. or uh, intellectuals. University professors and so on yeah. probably financed their own way down, and mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> they, you know, they uh, they firmly believe the uh, the ideology which uh, the Sandinistas represent, and so uh, they were just blind to the the effects that that ideology causes. Was the Russian presence uh, minimized at this time because of the election? Yeah, I was told that uh, that was definitely the case. Uh, I happened to notice, uh, it was pointed out to us, the uh, Russian compound, very living in high style and very fine villas, which uh, belonged to uh, previous landowners. So they're, they're living very well there. Yes. Yeah, right. They're living very well. Uh, I was told also that uh, a number of... Uh, Russians and uh, Czechoslovakians and uh, I believe Bulgarians were mentioned. Uh, several Eastern people from several Eastern European countries uh, were invited in. In fact, were hastily given citizenship papers so that they could vote in the election. <laughs> well, their uh, their governments haven't recalled those types yet. No, still there. So we have this anomaly. Yes. The, uh, the infrastructure in Eastern Europe still seems to be in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing has been done, of course, to separate the Sandinistas from the army nor the secret police. Yes, uh, as I understand, they, they still do control the, uh, the military department and the Department of the Interior, which runs the secret police operation. Well, I think the official handover is supposed to be in April. Yeah, there's there's a very concerted concerted effort to demand from the the victors that the uh, Sandinistas completely turn over the government. Sad fact is they have called for the disarmament of the Contras. First. But not the Sandinistas yet. Yes, right. they want no mention of that. They want mm-hmm. them to disarm and go back. 
In fact, former President Carter said that the Contras are the only uh, block to complete happiness down there. Yeah. Uh, the Sandinistas may have made a fatal mistake uh, by inviting the Contras to participate in the election process. What they have done, many of them have moved back into the cities, particularly in Managua, and uh, are resettled in the, the neighborhoods. Managua is kind of a, an unusual city. It doesn't seem to have a center. Well, it was, it was all destroyed by the, by earthquake. the earthquakes and never been rebuilt. And so you have uh, a decentralized city. And so what what's happening in Managua is happening in the individual neighborhoods. So uh, the Contras have returned to the neighborhoods and have... Uh, I guess you might say, uh, re-infiltrated the neighborhoods, which was the tactic that the Sandinistas used in their original takeover, was to to infiltrate key neighborhoods, uh, seize control of those, and then move on to the, the next neighborhood, and they gradually that way took over Managua. And now the Contras are in that, that same position, and they're not laying down mm -hmm. their arms. There are also people in the neighborhoods who who have access, access to weapons, who are actually uh, part of the government uh, right next door to the headquarters for uh, Caribbean Christian Ministries. Uh, the man living next door was uh, someone who uh, I believe was a, an, an educator of some kind who, who regularly goes out into the countryside on various projects for the, the government and whenever uh, people like this go out. They're given weapons, supposedly, to defend themselves against the Congress. But this man uh, definitely is not sympathetic to the government, even though he has a job for the government. So it's people like him who are in neighborhoods and who do have access to weapons. What about um, the neighborhood committees, the neighborhood watch? Um, I, I just don't know anything about mm -hmm. that, so I don't can't answer that question. <clears throat> um, well, it's too bad you had to leave the day before the election. You must have done a lot of thinking on the flight to Europe as to what, what the outcome would be. Yeah. Did you really think when you saw it all that the uh, tomorrow would win? Yes, I did. Uh, oh, you did? I really did. I was there on the Sunday before the election, and the campaign was to wind, officially wind up on the following Wednesday. But on, on that Sunday before the election, was the, the last big campaign effort and uh, the crowd that turned out in Managua for the uh, UNO group was overwhelming. It was an astonishing crowd of, uh, well, it was estimated every, everywhere from uh, 40,000 to 400,000 and I would guess it was on the the upper side of that. It, it was a sea of people and uh, by far the largest outpouring of uh, opposition sentiment that has ever been seen in the, in the t 10 years that the Sandinistas have been in power. And the people that I talked to on uh, the reliable sources of information uh, were just completely convinced that there would be an UNO victory. Mm. Um, so I left there expecting that that would be the case. And it turned out to be so. <coughs> you were there alone on that leg of the journey, or uh, was yes. one, any of the men with you? 
No. They joined you right. subsequently. Right. Mm-hmm. In Amsterdam? Yes, we all, the four of us who were on the team to Eastern Europe, uh, met each other in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Um, met, first of all, with uh, a group which I met, I think I've mentioned before, the uh, Christian Foundation for Aid to Conscience Convicts, which is located in a small town called Andyke. We received uh, a briefing there on uh, on their their work and the latest efforts uh, to provide relief to uh, Eastern Europe, particularly to Romania. So what does that mean? Prisoners of Conscience? Yeah, that's the name of the organization. Uh-huh. Christian Foundation. Did they go to prisons? Or uh, the, the organization began uh, about ten years ago. In fact, they're just celebrating their tenth anniversary this year. They began with... Uh, a campaign to uh, write to prisoners, uh, postcards and letters uh, from Christians in the West to prisoners in the Soviet Union and, and other Eastern countries. Their basis uh, for their whole ministry is uh, in Matthew 25, where Jesus uh, talks about, you know, at, at the final judgment of, uh, I was in, in prison and you visited me, and mm-hmm. that, that whole passage. So they have a number of legs to their uh, ministry the effort to be of encouragement to prisoners was in response to what Christ said about visiting prisoners and uh, what Christ said about uh, feeding the hungry and uh, giving drink to the thirsty uh, as part of their their food supply effort. Um, This group uh, ministering to prisoners of course has been asking people also to write to heads of state, Soviet premier or whatever the country is, so that they know there are people, Christians, who are concerned about the Christians in prison. That's been very effective. Uh, The people who have been persecuted in these countries have been the unknown people for the most part. Those uh, that have become well-known or at least identified um, generally... um, are better off uh, when the leaders in those countries have known that the West knows it's been gone much better for them. So this has been a very important ministry to not only to encourage those who have been in prison, but to, uh, as you say, uh, let the authorities know that we know what they've been doing. Has there been any change in the condition of the prisoners in Romania? Yes, uh, there, there definitely is change in Romania, no doubt about it. Uh, where there is not change, I think, would be in the economic area. It's been just a very short time since the revolution, and there is virtually no government right now in Romania. Those who are in government positions, uh, from my observation, are doing nothing more than crisis management. People are uh, beating the doorstep down. Um, with needs, with demands, the people are coming in uh, asking for housing in the city of Arad, for example, where we spend most of our time. They have uh, 10,000 requests for housing and only uh, 100 dwellings available. Well, where are they living? Uh, living with relatives or uh, sometimes in the streets or in the countryside. In the streets? Yeah. Well, it's pretty cold. It's still winter, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, although. It has been unseasonably warm, though. Just as we left, a storm moved across Europe, and 
it got quite cold again, but definitely is not a pleasant place to be. What are they using for money? Um, they, they still use uh, the lay, the... Uh, Is anything currency. working? Are the factories working? Uh, yes. Uh, the trains running? The train, well, <laughs> they never, they haven't been working for 40 years now. And they have no trains. Um, they have trains, but they're very old, very rickety, um, often do not have any glass in the windows. And, uh, what about you know, from appearances, uh, economically, I would say there's there's no difference. I was told that, uh, that you know some of the necessities of life, the, the staple foods, for example, um, oil and butter and flour, are now available in the store, whereas they were not before. So some of the very basic necessities. There you traveled by car, didn't you? Yes. Where did you get your gasoline? They have stations. Well, you you just don't, make sure you don't run out. You don't go deep enough into the country to. Uh, run out of gas. What, they what do have stations. Refill? You know, there are gas stations, but uh, just as before, the, the lines are miles long. Every gas station, uh, I would say at least two miles of, of cars lined up, sometimes two and three. How many gallons you could get? Or yeah. Well, yeah, for the ordinary people, uh, I mean the residents of Romania, that's the case. Western visitors can buy coupons at the border and in the special dollar shops, they call them. Um, and you, you can, can, you can buy a coupon. Yeah, if, you know, if it's available. Mm -hmm. And the price is extremely high. How much? Oh, $13, $15 a gallon. $15 a gallon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to tell Ralph Nader. You want to tell Ralph Nader about this. <laughs> I mean, we've got some uh, we've got some environmentalists here who would like to hear this. Uh, yeah. That's they what they would like. They favor it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They would like it. Yes. yes. Yeah. So everybody can walk. Yeah. I was told more gasoline was available, but from the lines I saw, I, I have a hard time believing it. Uh, sometimes, Fifteen dollars a gallon. Yeah. Sometimes three and four abreast for a mile or two, cars would be lined up. That's the same way it was five years ago when I made my first trip there. So, like I say, uh, economically there's been almost no improvement. Where there has been improvement is in the area of the fear. There's less uh, fear? Less fear. No fear at all, I would say. No at this fear point. at all. Uh, whereas before, people lived in, in constant fear and, uh, and terrible despair over uh, the outrageous oppression, which I've previously described, and which now is quite well known in the world. Now, now the people uh, feel very free. Uh, uh, the reports that have been coming to me have been that uh, there is a radical moral collapse that was probably there before and is more evident now. And apart from the Christian community, things look rather bleak. How is the Christian community meeting this situation? Well, you're quite right. Uh, the Christian community has been the, the stabilizing factor, even during the years of Ceausescu. Uh, people recognized that, and, and people who were not Christians would often adhere to the Christian community just because they were that stabilizing factor. They were really, in a very real sense, were the salt of Romanian society. Christians now have become very active, I'm pleased to say, not only in... Uh, evangelism, uh, which they can now do openly, uh, and in preaching the gospel in their churches, 
but are also very active in attempting to reconstruct their society. And uh, the city of Arad was, uh, was, I was just astonished at what had happened there. That uh, city, and uh, it's also uh, the same name, Arad is, uh, is a district, or you might, comparable to our state here in the United States. Uh, um, the government of that uh, province is uh, completely Christian from the president of uh, mm. the province. How did that happen under the communists? Well, uh, when the uh, revolution broke out in Timisoara, um, one man, one Christian uh, man, a father, who's an actor, actually, a uh, father of, uh, I think he said, five children, um, became very concerned when he heard that uh, the army at that point and the secret police were killing people right and left, including children. And he he vowed that if that um, moved over into his city, Arad, that he would want to be in the forefront of resisting that effort. Uh, and when, in fact, it did come to Arad, he did step forward uh, and uh, led the population of Arad in resisting the... Um, security forces and because he just stepped forward in front of the crowd the crowd said okay you're the leader so this is the new governor this is the new government the yeah. new administration the new administration uh, yeah all the old guys are out mm-hmm. and uh, we have a completely new administration there now and it's thoroughly Christian from the president who I just described uh, uh, and all of his advisors and all the key leaders in the city are Christians well could you tell me something did you see any stores uh, stores, yeah. Hotels? Uh, yeah, <laughs> believe me, I stayed in a hotel, and that's where uh, I was robbed, uh-huh. uh, right in my hotel room. The hotel we stayed in, uh, as all hotels are, they're very pathetic. Um, the windows were full of bu- bullet holes. In fact, the, the room of the door we stayed in had a bullet hole through it, and on the wall on the inside, the bullet was lodged in the wall yet. So. Mm-hmm. So there was very, very heavy well, fighting. Well, who owns the who owned the hotel? Who owns these stores? I understood yeah, that this was, the state owned everything. Yeah. The state still owns still, everything. Yes, there are now uh, private taxis. That's the first private taxis. That's the first that disappeared. Private enterprises. Somebody with a car has decided to operate as a taxi, right. and, they, and they're authorized now. Oh, they're authorized. Right. So they even have a license even now. Right, and there has been, uh, in the countryside, some land has been given to the peasants, so there is some privately owned land now, and there's an effort to return some of the government land uh, to people. Uh, so there's to hope, hope for private enterprise. To persons from whom it was confiscated, or from, from somebody who was lucky enough to get there first I don't know if anybody's figured line. that out yet. Uh, it's it's, it's been 50 knowing, years. Knowing somebody <laughs> who... Uh, Maybe could turn it over. I think, uh, in the case of the peasants that I was told about, it's people who were working that particular land. Who were working it anyway? Yeah, for the state. Now now own it. Now own it. Yeah. The Reformed Church there, of course, was the source of the revolutionary uh, impetus. Right. Uh, That's an interesting thing. Uh, There is very definitely. an ethnic problem in Romania as there seems to be throughout uh, Eastern Europe and uh, the Reformed Church is a, is a Hungarian church mm-hmm. and uh, the Romanian people were very impressed by the fact that it was the Hungarians 
who many of them do not like, uh, were the ones who led their country to freedom. And uh, and they recognized, of course, that it was not only Hungarians, but it was Hungarian Christians. So there's a, a tremendous new respect among the uh, Hungarian, uh, the Romanian population for the Hungarian Christians. Uh, pastor Laszlo Tokes, who was the Hungarian pastor in Timisoara, who who led the revolution, yes, um, is now uh, just a, a giant of a character in in Romania. He's a, a hero of heroes. Um, painted on the wall outside of his church office is a, a sign that says "Long Live Laszlo Tokes." And, did you uh, see him by any chance? Yes, so he did. Uh, we were able to meet with him very briefly. He's an extremely busy man, has a, a tremendous appointment schedule, and there were reporters from all over the world uh, trying to get interviews with him. Uh, we managed to uh, get one for about five minutes, which I have on videotape. He is an impressive character, uh, very soft-spoken, um, self-effacing, uh, calls himself a complete newcomer to politics and, and doesn't uh, even really want to be in politics, although he did admit he was considering whether he would run for national office. Um, and we'll make a decision on that soon. Um, I, I received various reports about him and about the, the, the faction in the Reformed Church that he represents. When I was in Hungary, we met with... Uh, uh, the leader of a, a reformed uh, college in a city called Debrecen, an old college that date back to, dates back to the Reformation, has been in existence since that time. Um, the group that's affiliated with this college uh, characterizes itself as the evangelical uh, element within the Hungarian Reformed Church. Although uh, Doug Alexander, who was with me, uh, thought he detected some uh, Barthian uh, philosophy in this group. The man I talked to from that group described Laszlo Tokes uh, and other elements in the Hungarian Reformed Church as traditionalists and cultural Christians. And uh, I, I, I would have to say in the brief interview I had with him uh, that there may be some substance to that. Uh, although he was described as being completely an unspiritual man, I don't think that's the case. Um, it appeared that his interest was uh, uh, perhaps uh, as much cultural as it was religious. When we asked him, you know, how uh, his faith influenced uh, his his um, work in society, his his political standing right now, um, he said, "Well, of course, as a pastor and as a Christian, uh, the Word of God informs him, but he did not believe it was." Uh, possible or necessarily even right to try to directly implement uh, biblical teachings in uh, in politics and in government. So, um, as I say, it was a very short interview and perhaps inconclusive in uh, determining what his actual beliefs are with regard to um, what we would call Christian Reconstruction. But he is uh, he is clearly a Christian. In fact, I was told that uh, at one of his uh, recent trips to uh, Hungary for a speaking engagement, uh, his bodyguard, who was a, a soldier in the Romanian army, uh, went with him and he led that soldier to Christ. And the soldier himself testified to that fact. 
So I believe he definitely is a Christian. Uh, as to the the depths of his uh, his faith, I just can't say. Or how the faith interworks with the uh, social structure. Right, right. It sounds, from your description, pretty much like uh, the upset landscape that I recall at the close of World War II, in which everything was more or less up for grabs. Yes. Nobody knew anything, and people were bartering all over the place, making deals for food and this and that and so forth. That's exactly. You've described uh, Romania today just very perfectly. Uh, as I said before, there's there's the no government. The war. Ceausescu, when when he uh, died or when he was killed, uh, left a complete vacuum in every way, uh, socially, uh, politically, economically, and uh, since he personally controlled everything in that country in a very literal sense, uh, there's just no one there who's equipped to deal with anything so uh, there is no government uh, there is no social structure there's no infrastructure it's all completely deteriorated uh, it's a country that's in complete chaos and anyone who steps forward with uh, half a brain or an idea uh, our money our money and very few have that mm -hmm. um, is uh, by default a leader are there were there many foreigners did you see uh, other Americans, by any chance? No. Uh, the only, well, there are quite a few foreigners in the country now, but that's because of the massive re relief effort. Uh, mm -hmm. As we traveled across Europe, uh, I think we uh, we didn't make a specific count, but I dare say we saw two to three to maybe 500 trucks with Red Cross signs on them from the uh, European community, from the Red Cross, the Hungarian Red Cross, and uh, any number of private relief relief agencies. From and the it, west to the yeah, east. Convoys of trucks, long convoys, sometimes uh, 20, 25 trucks in a convoy. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can see them all, all over the place in Romania. So there's been a massive effort. The organization that uh, we went with alone has sent 80 trucks of relief goods since Christmas. Mm, from Amsterdam? From Amsterdam, yeah. It's interesting because, you know, Paul, I listened to Paul Weirich uh, a few weeks ago who has led a team over to those countries and he's giving them seminars on how to conduct elections and how to mm -hmm. campaign. And uh, he said in his talk that uh, they needed instruction on how to democratize. And since you... When you stop to think about this, the staggering effrontery of that, because most of those countries had parliaments and democratic institutions a thousand years ago. Most of them did. Romania is the exception there. Romania was, was exception. They do not have a democratic tradition there. And they're the first to admit it, uh, this uh, young Christian uh, president of Arad County uh, told me that, in fact, he, he begged said we need help we do not know what democracy means we do not know anything I'm not about sure it. we know what it means here uh, yeah, that may be the case uh, but he begged and he was very specific in saying what I need is is Christians he, he told me he would not listen to anyone who was not a Christian uh, he just could not trust anyone from the West uh, who is not a Christian and he insists that any advice he gets is going to have to come from Christians recently I was looking through a 
bound volume of uh, a news periodical from the 20s. And it was ironic because there was Romania, King Carol. Oh, yes. And, and, and Magda Lupescu, his yes. mistress. Yes. And all the uh, talk which made Romania uh, Playboy's Paradise oh, in yes. those days. Yeah, he called his money Lucifer. <laughs> well, Charles Chesler continued. Had lots of oil. Yes, oh, it was very wealthy. The Romania oil fields are uh, really the biggest uh, elephant pits in uh, in Europe. Yes, has tremendous oil reserves, all kinds of minerals, gold and silver in the Carpathian Mountains, uh, and, it, and agriculturally, it's a it could be a very rich country. Uh, the management of agriculture by, under the communists is a disaster, of course. But at one time, I believe uh, Romania was uh, very much a breadbasket for us. The communists took one of the wealthiest centers of Europe and turned it into a horror. Uh, with their policies. Well, of course, they still have, Russia still has, Soviet Union still has these countries tied up on paper for their commodities. Mm -hmm. And some of those countries are now talking about trading with the West, but they're still under contract to the Kremlin. Yeah. How about uh, Hungary? Hungary, uh, I've been going there off and on for five years now, and in each of my trips I notice uh, a remarkable, noticeable improvement in the economic situation. They've been toying with capitalism now for oh, almost ten years, and uh, the contrast between Romania and Hungary is just astonishing. Uh, from a material standpoint, Hungary is pretty much now... Uh, another, just another European country, not anywhere near, say, West Germany or anything like that. But uh, there are the shops are, and the and even the large stores are are full of goods. Um, Western uh, interests are in there, and the large hotels, the Hilton hotels, and so on. Uh, so it's Budapest is uh, just yeah. another European capital. People are well dressed. Uh, there must be a real race dressed. underway on corporate levels to get into Oh, yes, yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. There's just vast opportunities there. Uh, prices are very low in Hungary, mm. um, so it's it's a good place even to vacation at this point. We stayed in a very very nice hotel in Budapest for only eighteen dollars a night. So. Mm. Um, on the other hand, uh, the downside of it is uh, hung, the Hungarians have used their newfound freedom uh, uh, in kind of a libertine way. Uh, that adopting all the, the worst aspects of Western culture. Pornography is just absolutely rampant. Everywhere you turn, everywhere you look, you, you see examples of it. The occult is very strong. Um, it's, a, it's a country that has been totally secularized, and uh, it's an atheistic country in, in every way. And so there's, uh, it's not a pretty sight morally, but economically they're progressing. Budapest is now exercising quite an appeal to the uh, jet set. 
as a place to go for fun and games yeah, where anything goes. Hilton Hotel, for example, has just opened a new casino there, so they have casino gambling in Budapest, so I can see that that so it's, a it's exotic in a way. It's a post-war uh, element, really. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but that, that's because you know this is it. what attends the end of the Great mm-hmm. War. Yeah, is uh, total abandon. Yeah, uh, we're alive. Let's celebrate and so forth. It was this there's tremendous also a pent up. Uh, yeah, there's oh, also yeah. a cynicism yeah. which, which emerges. That's true, and uh, and a despair that comes with that too. Uh, Hungary oh. has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. Oh, if not the highest. More than Sweden. Higher than Sweden, even. Higher than Sweden. Um, There's something in the little items appearing in the press to the effect that the Eastern Europeans intellectuals are going to Sweden and Scandia generally because they can't quite make the transition into capitalism as though it exists. I mean, let's be fair. There is no capitalism anywhere. Uh, we have a mixed economy here, uh, very similar to, not to the extent of Sweden, but not too far from it. Uh, so there, these Eastern European intellectuals, according to the press, are looking at Scandia as a pattern. Yeah, that you hear that very often there, that the Swedish model is uh, being put forward as the model for Eastern Europe, and and this is a disaster. The Swedish model, just in the past uh, month, has um, badly deteriorated. Uh, the Swedish economy is in very sad shape right now, and mm-hmm. the last easy chair that I uh, visited with you, I think I mentioned uh, signs of of cracking in the Swedish economy, and since we had that discussion, uh, there's been quite a bit of press in Europe yes. about that fact. In fact, the the British Economist magazine this week has a special, about a 20-page special section on the, the crash of the Swedish model. Well, Sweden has had a favored position among nations because it has not had a war since the Napoleonic era mm-hmm. and has had to spend very little money on uh, defense and in every war it has sold heavily to both sides yeah. so it has been uh, highly uh, prospered by wars but it's burned up all of that now, and yes, it's near the end of its It's used up all of its uh, capital along mm-hmm. that line, and, and all of its moral capital, and uh, what little religious capital it had left, uh, mm-hmm. which which was the foundation, of course, for uh, the very bright economy that Sweden once had. Well, it's interesting. I saw a comment, I think it's in this commentary, uh, to the effect that the 18th century ended in 1789 with the French mm-hmm. Revolution. Mm-hmm. The 19th century ended effectively in 1914. Yes. And it could very well be that the 20th century has ended with the collapse of the uh, socialist regimes in Eastern Europe. Mm-hmm. And it's taking people quite a little while to adjust to this sudden reversal. The sad thing is that when you, when you when you see a country that had the base that Sweden have uh, had uh, 
its its own model now collapsing. Its economy is in a very bad shape. But it, that now being used as the model for these uh, well, that's terrible countries in Eastern to, Europe. I the mean, intellectuals there don't want to turn around and say we've been totally wrong. <laughs> right. It's never going to work in these countries, and that's <clears> the sad part. Our time is almost up. Uh, Gary, do you want to make a summary statement about the trip? Uh, well, maybe to, I'll just avoid the summary. I just wanted to tell you uh, one other thing about Romania that just really touched me while I was there, and that is uh, the spirit of forgiveness that I saw among Christians. Um, a young pastor that I have uh, written about and talked about, uh, Doru Popa, who uh, for years was persecuted even up until just the time of the revolution was uh, arrested and in prison um, I went with him uh, to the police station he helped me out with my theft in the hotel room there and after we left the police station he was talking to a policeman in a very friendly way and after we left uh, he turned to me and said that that man had been the chief of police up until the revolution and was in fact the man who had arrested him and had uh, accused him of being a parasite and uh, had harassed him and caused all kinds of problems for him. And uh, now, um, after the revolution, this this young pastor is now the chairman of the uh, Human Rights Council in Iran and has a very high government position. And he went back to this former police chief and asked him, now do you think I'm a parasite? And the man said, uh, no, I never thought you were. It was the Communist uh, Party officials who made me do what I did to you. Uh, but uh, the attitude that this young pastor had to the man who had been his enemy and done him great harm uh, was just the most beautiful example of forgiveness that I had ever seen. And another very astonishing example was a church in the city of Medias had received a food shipment from uh, the group in Holland and when they got their food allotment from them their pastor told them to go into their streets of their neighborhood and share the food with the people who had spied on them before and they did and the, the neighbors broke down in tears and were on their knees in the streets in front of uh, these Christians who shared their substance with those who had been their enemies well thank you Gary and thank you all for listening Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christrules.com.